this past week, uh, we began um, a, a period in the Christian calendar called, called Lent. And it's a, a season of um, just preparing for understanding the, the crucifixion of, of Jesus Christ, to understand uh, the sacrifice that Christ made. It's a period of introspection and, and really preparing our hearts for that. And three things that, that people have done throughout church history in this time of Lent is they would pray, they would give to the needy, and they would fast. And I think one of the things, probably the one thing that we most commonly associate with Lent is, is fasting. And so I know several of us in here, uh, probably a lot more, I'm sure a lot more than I know, have fasted from, are fasting from different things starting uh, last Wednesday, which was Ash Wednesday. I know some of us in here are doing a really hard thing and giving up Facebook. And I applaud you for that. Very difficult. Uh, others have given up, um, others have given up fast food. And that's really hard. I know uh, someone was eating fast food out in the hallway earlier, and someone who's fasting from fast food was walking by, and it was very tempting. It's kind of like, get behind me, right? So uh, that kind of, uh, some people are fasting food. A, lot of, a couple of people I know are fasting from biting their fingernails. That's pretty cool. Um, it's an interesting thing to, to fast from. But uh, some are, are doing that. Others are fasting sweets. I know some people are fasting sweets, uh, people fasting soda, uh, some people fasting Korean dramas. Um, others may be fasting, different things. But um, outside of Lent, this, this idea of fasting, of abstaining from something, of denying ourselves from something for a spiritual purpose, for as common as it is in Scripture and as common as it is throughout the history of the church, it's somewhat of a lost art, a lost discipline in our day and age. And if you read the insert in your bulletin sometime, not now, um, it, it talks about why we're, we're going through this series, and there's a, there's a really good quote by uh, some dude in there that talks about why he thinks we have lost out on this idea of fasting in our day, in, in our age. Um, but I want to spend the next four weeks talking about fasting, partly to kick off this whole thing about Lent, but also because I feel like this is one of the most neglected disciplines, and yet at the same time, one of the things, if we grasp this, that it can truly revolutionize so many things about the way we do life, the way we see God, the way we see ourselves, the way we see other people. And so I know that this is dangerous because of one of two things can happen here. For four weeks, you guys can say, you know what, um, this has nothing to do with me because fasting is for these ascetic people. It's for the monks out there. It's for the people who are spiritually like up here and not for the people who are here or not for the normal people. And it's easy for you. The temptation would be for us to say that this is not for me. And so for four weeks, I'm either going to tune out. I'm going to go to another church. I'm just going to kind of go through this time and, and close my ears. And then maybe when a story is told, I'll, I'll, I'll listen up. I think that's one of the dangers that could happen. But my aim and my goal over the next four weeks as we talk about this is to show that this is applicable and relevant for every single one of us in here, even for maybe even for those who may not believe in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. My aim is to show for the next four weeks that, 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 that this thing about fasting is something that God is, has, has, has put on all of our plates, so to speak, as a way of really bringing about life change uh, in, the way that we, in the way that we live. And it's hard stuff. It's challenging stuff. But I think if you get it, that if you get it, I think it will reap literally eternal as well as temporal dividends. I really believe this with all of my heart. And so I'm asking at least today, at least today, just give it a hearing. And if God doesn't convict you, then you can do with it as you wish. But I really believe that uh, today the Lord's going to minister to our hearts and, and really challenge us about this um, kind of 
uh, misguided notion that we have about fasting. So the next few weeks, I'm going to talk about uh, fasting and the power of God that it has to, to bring about renewal and revival in the lives of people and individuals, nations, what it means to fast for other people, and then how we can fast in a wrong way. But today, I, I want to talk about fasting in the context of, of really um, just pursuing God. And wanting more of God and longing for more of God. And I think that's something hopefully that all of us want. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, we're going to look there at the beginning point of Jesus Christ's ministry. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. And as we um, look at these four verses, just want to look at four baseline principles as it relates to fasting and the pursuit of God. Matthew 4, verses 1 through 4, this is God's word. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is God's word. We see Jesus at the age of 30 years um, is about to enter into to begin his ministry. And he goes out and he begins his ministry, realizing that he's got the weight of the world on his shoulders. He says, how better can I begin this than to spend 40 days in fasting and seeking the presence and the power of God in my life? And after 40 days of fasting, I don't know if you've ever done. Yeah, you've never done this. 40 days of fasting. Um, you can imagine you're hungry after 40 minutes of fasting. Some of you get hungry after 40 After 40 hours, you'd be hungry. But after 40 days, Jesus is hungry. And so the first thing that probably anyone would want to do after 40 days of fasting is to eat something. And so here comes a tempter. Here comes Satan. And he brings these rocks. He brings these stones. And he says, Jesus, look here. He says, don't be fooled by the rocks I've got because you can turn these things into bread. He says, you can turn this into your own Bethlehem, Jerusalem bakery here. If you would just do it, you can eat. You've done your 40 days of fasting. Now create your Panera. And eat and break your fast. And so he sets this out before Jesus. And Jesus says to him, it's written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. As we look into this, the the first thing that we're going to see here, what does fasting do is fasting exposes our hearts. Fasting exposes our hearts. And it does this in two ways. One, the first way it does this is that it shows what is controlling your life. It shows what is controlling your heart. If Jesus was controlled by food, then he would have said, give in to the temptation of Satan and say, okay, I'm going to make my own bread shop here. I'm going to make my bakery and I'm going to eat. I'm having a craving for Texas toast this evening. And so he would create it and he would eat it. But Jesus was not controlled by that. See, when we're talking about fast, what am I going to fast for Lent? Olivia and I were, were talking about this on Tuesday night, Mardi Gras, Fat Tuesday, before Ash Wednesday. Well, what are we going to fast? And I was thinking to myself, well, maybe I should, uh, I could fast salad. <laughs> do a little bit of, maybe if that's too broad, maybe I could just fast broccoli. I could do that. Or, or maybe I could fast uh, pho for 40 days. Or um, chocolate-covered coconuts. Maybe I'll, I'll fast some of that. And I thought that's not very difficult. Right, why do we want to fast things that are easy? Well, it, it, it's simple. When something is easy to fast, it's because that thing's not important to us, right? Any of us could fast something that doesn't mean anything to us. We do that all the time, anyways. 
On the contrary, when something, it's difficult for us to fast from something, it reveals how important that thing is to us, and it shows that that thing has a control in some way, either big or small, over our hearts. When something is difficult for us to give up, when something is difficult for us to fast, it means that that thing has some kind of control over our lives, whether we feel like it's an addiction or we feel like it's just kind of a petty little grip that it has on us. When something is difficult for us to give up, it's because that thing has somewhat of a grip on our hearts. So as you think about Lent and you think about what you gave up for Lent, did we give that up because we think that's not that hard to do? What is that one thing in your life that if we just dread when we go to the retreat, like, God, I'll give you anything, but I hope that you don't begin to convict me about this one thing. I'll give you anything, but just that girl. I'll give you anything but that guy. I'll give you anything, Jesus. Take everything. Even, to, even take my dreams of becoming whatever in the future. Take my, even take my, the sports that I play. You can take that, but just don't take this one thing. What is that thing in your life that if Jesus were to say, give this to me, not just for 40 days, but for your life, that you're like, God, I don't want you to, I don't want you to take that. I don't want you to take that. Could it be that the reason why we don't want to fast from certain things is not because we think I, I need it to function every day of my life. Don't you know I need it for work? I need it for school. Maybe that's not really why. Maybe it's because you, you don't want to admit that that thing's got a lock on your life. Could it be that the reason you cannot give up texting is because you're afraid that if you give up texting, you're going to actually have to talk to and have a face-to-face relationship with somebody? Could it be that the reason you can't fast from Facebook is not because you feel like this is my best means of communication, but because somehow you need to always be in the know about what's going on in somebody else's life because no one will tell you. And unless you get on Facebook, you'll always feel like you're out of the loop. What are these things in your life that if Jesus says, give that to me, saying, I guess you can't, I can't do that. See, fasting exposes what controls your life. You see, back in, in Genesis 22, God said to Abraham, hey, Abraham, I know that you would do anything for me, but here's one, there's one thing, one thing that I want you to give. It's a good thing. And will you give your only son? I know you've been waiting for a long, long time. I know you've been praying. I know you've been longing. I know you've been seeking, but will you give that one thing to me? And it says, after Abraham was, was given that ultimatum, he woke up early in the morning so that he could sacrifice his son. Why do you wake up so early? Is it because kind of in that same way we can't sleep when we're, about to, when we're in fifth grade and we're about to go to, to Bush Gardens tomorrow and we, we, we know we've got to wake up at 8 o'clock and we're trying to sleep and we're tossing and turning. We can't sleep until so we wake up at 5 o'clock just to get our, our clothes ready to go to Bush Gardens. We're so excited. I couldn't sleep. Is that why Abraham woke up so early? God, I can't sleep. I'm so ready to give my best to you. Or could it be that he was agonizing over this and he could not sleep because he knew that he had to give the very best thing in his life to God? See, a a lot of times, you know this to be true, but I need to say it again. A lot of times, God asks us to give up good things in our lives so that we could have more of him. A, A lot of times, it's not these bad things like biting our fingernails or 
drinking alcohol or doing drugs that God asks us to give over to him. A lot of times it's the good things that he asks to give. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus goes to three different people and says, come and follow me. And the three excuses they give, they say, Jesus, I can't follow you right now. I'll take care of this and I'll come back and follow you. What were the three things? He said, it's land, it's oxen, it's my wife. What were the three things that kept them from going after Jesus? What is it that kept them from giving everything they had to Jesus? It was their home, their possessions, their real estate. It was their job. It was their family. And they said, Jesus, I can't give these things over to you. And Jesus says, if you don't give these good things to me, then you'll never have the best. You'll never have all of me. And a lot of times Jesus pushes on our hearts. Will you give me what's good so that you can have the best? Could it be that our unwillingness to give these things over to Jesus is because those good things have latched a hold of our hearts and have gotten a control over us in a way that only Jesus ought to? What is that one thing, those two things in your life that you're like, Jesus, take everything, but not these things. Take everything, but not my job. Take everything, but not my reputation. Take everything, but my cursing. Take everything, but this one habit. Take everything, but that one thing, that one dream that I cling to, that I hold on to. And you think you're holding on to it. You think you're clinging to it, but that thing is clinging on to you. Jesus says, this is what fasting does. It it, it exposes in your heart what's controlling you. You know that there's that one relationship in your life that you're clinging to and you're spiritualizing it, saying it's okay. Because I'm leading them to Christ or because we're both believers or because I'm helping them to see Christ more. But you know that that's killing your soul. And Jesus has been pounding on your heart saying, give that up, give that up, give that up. And you're like, Jesus, I can't. He's always asking us, saints of God, for the good things in our lives so that he might give us what's best. What is that good thing in your life that you've made become ultimate in you? See, so many times I think here's the problem. Why don't we fast these days? I think our problem is we've got a misguided understanding of Christianity. we, We have this sense that if I go to church on Sunday, I make a few sacrifices, I give a little bit of money, I can do whatever I want and just live this comfortable Christian life and scoot on into heaven. And God will say to me, well done, my good and faithful servant. In the words of Richard Niebuhr, he says, we believe, this is what so many Christians believe. We believe that a God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgments through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. And that's our cultural Christianity. Why should I fast then? If that's my understanding of Christianity, if that's my understanding of lordship, if that's my understanding of what God wants for me, why in the world should I give up anything for him? I've given up my Sundays. Isn't that enough? And so we remain living in this sense without knowing the holiness of God and the lordship of Christ and what he calls for us to do. And the reason he calls us to give all that is because he has first given all of that to us. And to the degree that we understand that, that's the degree to which we'll give. And probably the hardest thing for so many of us to give up, probably that one thing that grips our hearts more than so many other things is food. And how many times do, 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 do we feel controlled by food? Uh, we don't eat for, uh, we skip a meal by accident, or mom and dad doesn't make us a meal, or we don't get to eat, and we say, I'm dying. Because we're slaves to our appetite. We're slaves to food. Isn't that why Esau traded the most important blessing in the world at that time, his birthright, for food? Isn't why 
Isn't that why when Satan tempted Adam and Eve in the desert, he could have painted in a whole bunch of different ways, but he gave it to them as food. And isn't that why after Jesus was fasting, the first thing that Satan said was, make this become food. And we know, whether we, whether we know it or not, actually, there's a grip, a death grip that food has over many of our lives. And we're unwilling to give that up. See, we see not only does uh, it exposed by what controls us, by what, fat, what food covers up in our lives. And I, I've mentioned this before, but a lot of times we use food to, to cover up things in our heart. The biggest loser, 99% of the contestants, when you ask them, why are you so large? Why, are you, why, can't you, why do you keep on eating? Every, almost every single one of them that I've, of every show I've watched goes back to the fact that I was hurt, I was lonely, I was sad. And the only thing I knew to do was just to eat and eat and eat. And here's what fasting does. When we fast, these things begin to be, it begins to get peeled back from our lives. And we begin to see these things surface in our hearts. Whenever I fast, it's, I, it's never these like grand revelations that I got of, of what God's going to do or these miraculous answers to prayer. It's always I'm revealed. God shows me the sinfulness of my heart. And, and I begin to see all of this, this, this bitterness in my heart. And all this like pride in my heart. And, and, and then I begin to say, well, it's, it's because I'm hungry. I'm just, I'm just kind of on edge because I'm hungry. But when that happens every time, see, God is surfacing these things. And Richard Foster in Celebration of Discipline makes this clear, that God is surfacing these things in our hearts so that by fasting, we can surrender these things to Christ so that we can become more like him. That we're using food to medicate some of these things in our lives, to medicate this deep sense of loneliness. And when we don't eat and we're left alone to sit there, like, why am I so, why do I feel like, why do I feel so lonely? Why do I feel so sad? Why do I, why am I complaining all the time? Why do I feel so self-righteous? It's because we're using food to cover these things up. And the reason you feel that way is because you are that way. And the Lord is exposing these things so that you can sift these things out so that you can become more like Christ. This is the first thing that fasting does is it exposes our hearts by showing what controls us and showing what food is covering up in our lives. It exposes us for who we are. But the second thing that it does is fasting expresses our hunger for God. As we go through Lent, I, I want to warn you that fasting from these things is not for us to be able to say at the end of 45, 46 days, is not for us to be able to say, you know what? I fasted from the internet for 46 days all through Lent. It's not for us to say, you know what? I did it. I can control myself. I can be self-controlled. It's not about that. It's not about saying I can, I, I've me measured, so, I've come to some certain level of mastery over my own appetites and desires. I'm making progress in my life. That's not what fasting is about. Fasting is always a negative thing. It's taking this negative thing out of our lives, but it's also a positive thing. It's about hungering for more of Jesus Christ. And if fasting does not do that, then we're not fasting in a biblical manner. And if all we're doing is denying ourselves of certain pleasures, denying ourselves of food, and we're just getting antsy and just getting upset, and then at the end of our fast, we just can't wait to gorge ourselves without giving second thought to pursuing God a little bit more, a little bit deeper, a little bit further, that we've missed out on the purpose of biblical fasting because fasting expresses our desire for God. This is what it's saying. When we give up food for God, we're saying, God, this is how much I want you. 
As much as I want food, I will sacrifice that to show that this is how much I want. Fasting is a physical exclamation point to that spiritual longing that says, God, this is how much I want you. And if words cannot express it, then God, let my fasting from these things that I love, let that be an expression of how much I desire you. Because whenever you give up something of worth, it shows the worth of that for which you give that up. Whenever you give something of little worth, it shows that that's how little you value the one that you've given up for. You've heard uh, me talk about this before, but before Olivia and I got married, we were dating. She was in Virginia. I was in, uh, here in Orlando. And one of my dreams when I was in high school was that I could grow a beard and I could have a beard because I, I remember seeing somebody and I thought, wow, he looks really cool. And I kind of, you know, really wanted it when I was like a sophomore, junior in high school. And so I would put my hands on my face and I'll pray, God, let this grow in Jesus name. And and I would ask people, how do you how do you grow it out and, and stuff like that? And so um, in time, it began to grow. And then I, I saw this guy, well, the David Crowder band and his huge like beard. And I was inspired even more and grow it. And, and so I did. And so that when we were dating uh, my beard was was really long, and it was like I could put it, uh, touch my nose and stuff like that. And it was, it was really like really cool for me to play with. And and we were uh, we started dating about 2004. And uh, one of the things that Olivia's parents said, they said we we like him, and he sounds like a good guy from everything that we hear, but uh, we don't like his beard, and we really don't like that thing. And and uh, they they would look at pictures, and they're like, yeah, you know he. It looks pretty good. You guys look look cool together, but I I don't know what he looks like because all I see is that beard. That's all there is in it. And so they said, "Can you just ask him to to, to cut it off when he comes up? Anytime he comes up to see us, just tell him to cut it off." And I remember I was like, "Man, this is so oh, this is like awful. This is like my greatest dream is being surrendered for the sake of uh, Olivia's parents." And I know some of y'all are like, "What's the big deal? That's not." It's not hard. It's so easy. A caveman can do it. But really, it's not that easy, especially for an Asian person to do. And so I remember like, man, I really have to do this. And, and so uh, w- one day I, I decided with uh, one of my, my buddies from down here who lived in Virginia, um, during one of the hurricanes in 2004, we decided we're going to drive up to Virginia. And so it was kind of like an unexpected last-minute thing. And so I didn't really have time to mourn the loss of my beard. But I, I tied it up in a little uh, rubber band, and then I, I cut it. And I was like, man. And I looked at myself in the mirror, and I was like, where did you go? And it was like, this is the most tragic thing to me. And, and as we're driving up, I, actually, I, I cut it off. It, it was tied up, and I put it in like a, a tiny little Ziploc bag, perfect size for my beard. I put it in there. It's kind of as a, as a keepsake. And, and we're driving up to Virginia, and I was kind of stroking that thing, just kind of having my own funeral service for it. And um, we got up, <laughs> we got up to Virginia, and uh, one of the first things I said was, "I have something for you." And I gave her a stuffed animal dog, and she was like, oh, "That's cool." And I said, "I have something else for you." Uh, and I thought this was really cool, and I, I, I was young back then and wasn't as uh, romantically inclined. And so I, I pulled it out of my pocket and I gave it to her, and I said, "This is how much I want you." And I gave it to her. You know, when we sacrifice something of, of great worth to us, that's what we're saying. Saying, this is how much I want you. And when we sacrifice our food, when we sacrifice our desires, when we sacrifice something of, of great value for, for, for the sake of knowing God more, we're saying, God, this much I want you. 
God, this is how much I want you. And we're giving it to him. And, and we're saying, God, I, my words can't explain. My words can't express. But let there be a, a, a visible and, and, and an action that, that tangibly demonstrates that this is what I'm longing for. And, and fasting expresses our desire, our hunger, our longing for God like nothing else does. It expresses our desire for God in, in ways that no song can do, in ways that no prayer can do. Ways that nothing else can do. We're saying, God, I'm, I'm, I'm giving up all of these things so that I might have more of you. We're saying, God, this much, I want you. Because you see, it, when it comes to, to food and it comes to the gifts of God, these things were never meant to be ultimate. And why in the world would we worship and idolize things like food? God gave it to us as a gift, but you see how many times throughout the word of God that God is constantly making mention of himself in, in, in imagery that, that, that points to food. And every time you sit down to eat this, this amazing sushi boat buffet and, and you look at the, the salmon and you look at the octopus and you look at the, the spicy tuna and you look at that, that white tuna and you look at all of these things that your mouth begins to water. Anytime you, 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 you bite into that perfect, that perfect blend of crispiness and fat on a piece of bacon. And your just senses begin to melt away. Anytime you, you, you cut into that perfect uh, cut of, of medium rare steak and, and it touches your lips and, and just you're taken into this far off place and, and you're like, Calgon, take me away. Anytime you do these things, it, it's never about just that food, but God gives us these gifts so that we might see. What an amazing God we serve. Food could have been given to us just to, to nourish our bodies. Just to, to, to make us strong so we might do the work that he's called us to do. But he fills it with food and variety and beauty so that it might be a picture to us. That's why the one who he wants to be remembered for all eternity until we see him again by a table with bread and wine. So that we might see that we don't live by bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. That's why in Psalm 34, he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. That when we, whenever we taste food, whenever we look at food, we're seeing all of these things. And with our senses, we're being lifted up to see that these are pointing us to that which is ultimate. That's why he says, I am the bread of life. That the food that you eat is never meant to be ultimate. But why? he says, would you be willing to give up this shadow for the reality of that which really is? In other words says, would you rather have the gifts that I give or is it enough that you have me, the real thing? Which would you rather have? Are we saying, I don't want blessings, I want you, but is that really true? If we could have, if we could have just a, a Jesus, I love you for what I was blind and lost. You shed for all your enemies, your blood upon the cross because you have loved me. Now I can love you too. Your love flows deep into my heart and now I send it back to you. And Jesus, our love will only grow much, much, much deeper. Sustained from above by your overflowing grace. And Jesus, our love will only grow much sweeter. And someday we will see you face to face. Is that enough for us? That longing, that desire to one day be face to face with Jesus. Is that enough for us? Or do we need all of these other things that God gives to us in order for us to be happy? Let me put it the other way. Is it good enough for you to have all of your prayers answered, but to have no relationship with God? Is it enough for you to be in heaven with all of your friends and all of the food and all of the blissful things? No crying, no tears, but Jesus Christ be not there. Is that good enough of a heaven for you? 
Is that good enough for you? Jesus is saying all of this food that I've given to you in this life is just a shadow of the reality that is me. They're all pointing to how good and how satisfying I am. And when you live in this shadow, you're taking what's good and you're, you're having that and you're trading away and giving away what's best. He's saying, would you have rather all of God or just the blessings that come from him? When I was an elementary school student, I used to, and I still do love sports, but I used to always long for, wait for my dad to come home because he would wake up much earlier than me. He would get the Washington Post and he would take it to work with him. And about five o'clock, he'd come home. And every day I would run out to the car to greet him. And I remember one day, um, I remember one day I was talking with my brother. He was in eighth grade. I was in, in fifth grade. I was young. And I said to him, I said, I can't wait for dad to come home. I'd never said anything like that before, never said anything like that. And so he said, why? I said, because he's bringing home the newspaper and I can't wait to read the sports page. And he said, that's it? He said, that's too bad. Then he walked away. I wonder how many of us are saying, I can't wait to meet with God. Why? Why? Because he's bringing the sports page with him. I hope you hear me saying today, that's too bad. Because there's so much more that he wants to give. So much more of himself that he wants to give than just his blessings. So much of himself that he wants to give. To satisfy the deepest desires and longings of our heart. That's what he wants to give to us. It's all of himself. So fasting exposes, it expresses, and the last thing, last thing it does is fasting increases our longing for Christ. Increases our hunger for God. It, it increases that, that, that desire for more of him. See, fasting 40 days in Jesus, it didn't create a longing for more food. It created a longing for more of God. And he said, I don't want this stuff. I want more of him. I would rather obey him. I'd rather seek after more of him than to seek after whatever the world has to give, whatever food the world has to give to me. I know some of us in here are like, I, I can't fast because that's not what I'm feeling. I'm not feeling a desire for God. I think one of the greatest gifts that fasting does for us is it increases our longing for more of Christ. A couple days ago, uh, we were talking with a, a young lady, and she said, I, here's my prayer request. I want to know God right now, but there's all these temptations in my life. And so would you pray that I want to want to know him? And would you pray that I would want to want to know him more than I want these other things in this life? One of the greatest things that we can do to stoke the fires of flame of passion for Christ is to give ourselves over to fasting. It's to say, God, I want to do that because when we fast, this, this, this physical hunger feeds a spiritual hunger. And countless people have said that there, there, there's kind of like a reciprocal relationship between, our, our, between fasting and our hunger for God. That when we're hungry for God, it fuels our fasting so that it's not difficult. It becomes joyful. And it's like we forget the physical hunger pains. And we just, we just, it, it becomes a joy seeking the presence of God. 
And that when we fast, that fuels the flame of hunger. And these things work together. That as we're hungry, we fast. And as we fast, we get hungrier for more of God. And it works in this way because when we're hungry physically, we become hungry spiritually. When we're hungry spiritually, we become desperate. And when we become desperate, we're able to receive so much more. Desperate people are are hungry people. You see this in the Bible. There's a Syrophoenician woman, a Canaanite woman, and she's begging, Jesus, would you heal my daughter? Would you heal my daughter? And Jesus continues to to rebuff her and says, I I came first to the lost sheep of Israel, not to you. And she says, but still, would still would you give to me? And he says, I, I, uh, it would not be right to toss the children's bread to to dogs, dogs, not meaning you're a dog, but meaning that you're a Gentile. And she said, yeah, but still I can eat. I can eat dogs, eat the crumbs that fall from the table. And Jesus looks at her. He wasn't trying to, to, to put out her faith but he's trying to build her faith and he says look at you i've never seen such faith in all of israel because she was hungry for even the littlest bit of jesus and she said i don't care what obstacles lay in my way i'm gonna long for more of you and i'm gonna feast on whatever you give to me jesus and he said i've not seen such great faith in all of israel you see if we're not hungry for more of jesus it's not because we've tasted Jesus enough and, and, and we're satisfied and we're full. The reason you and I don't hunger for Jesus is because we've been, become full with other things. And it's not because we're satisfied with Jesus. Oh, my fountains are in you and that's it. And, and so I'm not going to hunger because we know that in everything else, we eat food, we're full, we're satisfied, we don't want more. That's not the way it is with Jesus. When we get satisfied with Jesus, we long for more because we can never have enough of him. We can never have enough of his presence in our lives. And so the reason why you and I don't hunger for Jesus is not because we've had enough of him and we're full. It's because we've tasted lesser things and we've become satisfied with those things that we don't know what it's like to hunger for more. My high school days, I, I used to, and I still do love eating cheese. And so one of my, my favorite, <laughs> favorite snacks would be Doritos. So I'd come home from school, I'd grab a bag of Doritos out of the, the pantry, and I'd sit down on the couch, and I'd turn on silver spoons and different strokes, and I'd just sit there for an hour and a half. I'd just eat Doritos. And by the time I knew it, the whole bag was gone. I was like, oh, man. I didn't feel bad because I ate it all. I felt bad. Well, I didn't feel bad because I was stuffed i felt bad that i didn't have enough to eat for tomorrow and so uh, i would eat these things and then my mom would come home and she would make dinner about six o'clock and she'd make all of my favorite foods and she'd make this like marinated beef that's like sliced really nicely and she'd make this chicken that i like and uh, always had to be some kind of a meat and and she would put it at the table and i would say i'm not hungry i already ate like what did you eat this is like this is your favorite this is the stuff that you and your brother love and I'll even get some spam out of the pantry if you want that. And they know I already ate. She's like, what did you eat? But I ate, ate Doritos. He ate Doritos. And I think a lot of times that's what we're doing too. So we're so satisfied with Doritos and munchies and junk. But there's no hunger for God anymore in our lives. Think about where you used to be, friends. Think about where you used to be in your hunger for God. What happened to that hunger? Where did that go? What has caused you to stop longing for Jesus? When you used to be so passionate about giving yourself away to Christ, 
When you came so hungry for giving yourself to the Lord, when you were so eager to be here at worship, what happened to that hunger? Where did all that go? What has robbed you of that desire? And my heart breaks when I think about where the hunger has gone. Those times when we used to be so excited for God. Times when it wasn't all about us. Times when our hearts were pure and were open and honest and innocent and weren't filled with, with jockeying for position and doing all of these things. When it was just about, I want more of you, Jesus, and that's it. What has robbed us of that hunger? Where has that gone? The land, the oxen, the wife. What are the good things in your life, people of God, that's robbed you of your desire for God? Have we lost sight of the beautiful one who made that ultimate act of fasting? He said, I have eternal intimacy with God. And yet there's something that I want more. I want my people to have that. I want my people to have that. That's why Jesus fasted. That I'm going to withhold food for 40 days so that I could be empowered to live the life that we failed to live. So that I could die on a cross and lose intimacy with God so that my people could one day have it. There's one take-home message. Could you just do one thing? I know some of y'all are like, you know what? I don't care what you say. I don't care what you say. That's fine. That's fine. But if, you can just, if we can just lower our pride for one second, and if I could just invite you, just, just one, at least one meal a week, at one meal this week, and just say, I'm going to give that up to God. And during that meal, I'm going to seek God. I'm not just going to abstain from food, but I'm going to pray. And I'm going to say, God, fan in the flame a passion for your name again. If you can do a whole day, one of the, uh, some of our, uh, us in our congregation fast on Wednesdays, and then we come to prayer meeting on Wednesdays, and, and we come and we say, God, I want more of you. If you have the time, do that. Fast on Wednesdays and then come and we'll help you to seek God and say, God, I want more of you. If you can't do that, then, then just one meal. And it's not just, it's not just saying, I'm going to withhold this meal, but I'm going to withhold it so that I can say, God, this much I want you or this much I want to want you. Help me, God, to go back to first love, to pursue you again, to run back to that place where I once was. Because whatever you've done in my life in the past, you are able to do that and so much more. Whatever you've done in the past, in the lives of the people of Israel, in the, in, in the, the words of Scripture, whatever you've done in the past, I know that you're able to do that and more today. So God, do it again. Do it again. In our church, in our world, in my life, in my family. For your glory, for your kingdom, and for my joy as well. Let's pray. Let's take a moment to pray to the Lord God. Where are our hearts today? We can just pray one of two things. One, if you desire God, can we just pray that to him? God, I want more of you today. 
Lord, I need more of you in my life. God, I want you. Loosen the idolatrous grip of the things of this earth on my heart. And may my white-knuckled hands let go of its grasp on those things that you're calling me to give up to you. And then secondly, if we can just pray, if that's not you, God, I don't want you, but I remember the days that I once did. And I want to watch you. The temptations of this world, the desires of the flesh are so strong and they fight against me, God. But I want to want you again. Change begins when the memory of what was becomes a longing for what could be. And so we say, God, I want to want that again. Help me, Lord God. Let's take a moment to pray to the Lord in that way. For a moment or two, to ask the Lord, God, I want more of you. And whatever that means in your heart, if that means to pray out loud, say, God, this is how much I want you. That means to pray quietly. Whatever that looks like in your life. Let's, uh, yeah, just go before the Lord in prayer. If that may, if that looks like for some getting on, put, going to your knees and, and just praying, and Lord, in, in, in surrender, in humility, I give myself to you, then so be it. If it means standing up and lifting your hands in consecration, then let's do that. Let's not be hindered. There's freedom in this place to do that. So let's just respond to the word of the Lord in that way. Let's, let's pray, prayer of response, of commitment, of decision, of surrender. A couple moments now. Father in heaven, we pray that you would remind us that your son, Jesus Christ, when he walked this earth, said if anyone, not just the souped up model of the Christian, but if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself. She must deny herself. Take up their cross and follow me. Jesus, so many of us in our fear that we would sacrifice our health, our family for the sake of ministry have grown up with an unwillingness to sacrifice anything for the cause of Christ. Forgive us, Lord. 
We're doing what's comfortable and no more. We're doing what's comfortable and a little bit more to stretch us just a little bit, but only insofar as we can handle it. God, forgive us for not going further for the one who went all the way for us. Change us, mold us, cripple us by grace so that we would know that we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So help us, Lord, in Jesus' name.